Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political officer, George Cup. Hello, everybody. Uh, this evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the evening. So tonight, we will be discussing, should VE Day always be a bank holiday? What is the best decade for music? And lastly, do you believe in conspiracy theories? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, we ask for you guys to see what's your most important policy to you. And we've heard some really in policies come through. So the first one's from Cameron. Cameron says thinking it's quite interesting because because before the coronavirus pandemic, wouldn't have listed healthcare and the NHS as being such a high priority for me. But now that we have seen just how critical the NHS is, and when you think about it, so many people would be dead if it wasn't for the NHS. So I say that now healthcare and NHS in general is the most important policy to me. And it's so important that any government really prioritises that, as without a healthy NHS, a healthy country, we're literally dead. Um, George, obviously very dramatic, uh, uh, but obviously a really important point there from Cameron. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I couldn't actually agree more with Cameron with, with what he's saying there. Um, we, over this pandemic, I think it's made a lot of people realise maybe even how we take our NHS for granted um, and how lucky we are to have such a fantastic health um, service in place that um, is free at the point of use. Um, and that is incredibly important because uh, it has meant that so many people have been able to get care, um, especially those if it was privatised that wouldn't be able to afford it. And, and that is the most important thing, I think, and it's something that we should always be very proud of. Um, as I have highlighted in previous shows, that um, the Conservative government have always said that they want to invest more money since the 2019 general election. And I'm sure... Um, 
whatever the economy looks like after this pandemic, they will try and ensure that there is money being invested even more so into the NHS. And also as well, I think what's important is that we seek to give those that work within the NHS a significant pay rise. Um, it, I think Boris himself, obviously our Prime Minister, has experienced firsthand what it is like now to be in intensive care, to be cared for by our, our NHS. And I think when you get that personal touch, it makes um, things even better and even more likely to happen. And I think Boris definitely will, of course, if our um, economy can cope with it, definitely ensure that there is a boost within our NHS. And I think that it will be something that will will always be of interest to any party um, when they come forward for election. And, and it's always one of the big things that is put on any manifesto. Um, the only thing I would say with the NHS when it comes to elections is that I do feel that it comes kind of like a political football. Um, and I think political parties have to be very careful when they actually start describing what they want to do with the NHS and how they want to fund it. But Callum, what, what do you think on, on uh, Cameron's opinion there? Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree in many ways um, about obviously protecting the NHS and, and policies in general it is going to be really important to people now uh, and, and personally for me yes um, it's something that it is important to me uh, I mean as you said George um, I think we priority to get some kind of um, um, pay rise for NHS staff uh, and generally just ensuring that they've got the adequate protections in place or if a, a similar kind of outbreak is, is to happen in the future. Um, uh, and I think we will see that, um, more moving forward. I mean, I mean, you think, George, obviously, in, in the last election, we saw um, Brexit, became the, the main issue, and um, probably just closely followed by the NHS. But I think overall, it was the Brexit election. Do you think, in the light of the, the coronavirus um, pandemic, do you think that we could see that that becomes the NHS election? Um, I definitely think that the the NHS will be a uh, a fixation on any future election. Um, and if anyone tuned into our show last week, we said about um potentially what Nigel Farage would focus on, and I definitely think the NHS will be something that they will kind of cling on to to try and I don't know exploit in some way. And I definitely think there is a chance that there will be the next election will be an NHS election. Um, and it will be interesting to see whether or not they do trust it more under the Conservatives or Labour or even um, a different smaller party. Um, it, it will be definitely very intriguing to find out what the general public think. But I think that compared to what Jeremy Corbyn um, decided to view the NHS like and the way he wanted to fund it, it's very different to the way Keir Starmer, I believe, will try and, and go about it. And as such, I think that will be more of a threat on the Conservatives than before. Callum, do you roughly agree with that? I mean, yeah, on the broader point, I think it will, in a sense, be the NHS election, although I don't think it's ever going to be in the same way as what the last election was, the Brexit, because although Labour generally have a, a tendency to say this is the last election to say the NHS, the general public doesn't really um, tend to view it in those terms, and I think quite rightly. Um, but I think more broadly as well, um, as you say, um, Keir Starmer's policies are going to be slightly different, and I think 
and that's probably going to pose a bit more of a, a realistic threat to to the Conservatives in terms of getting Labour into number 10. Yes, and let's move on to our next opinion from Annie. And she says, I'm going to start studying economics next year when I start my A-levels. So I'm trying to get that in, into that more. But at the moment, I've always been more interested in social policies. Things like immigration, healthcare and crime, not financial policies so much. I think that a country's immigration and social welfare policy says so much about what sort of country it is. If you're really strict on immigration and you don't have much social welfare, caring for those in need, then I think it makes a country seem really selfish and like it always prioritises the rich. If you are more open and helpful, then that's the sign of a government that actually wants to help its people. Well, Callum, do you uh, believe believe in those that approach? Um, yeah, I mean, broadly, I do. Um, and I, I think it's it's really, really interesting because it, from certainly a British perspective, I think um, having kind of strong welfare goes hand in hand with immigration. I mean, if we look at in the recent coronavirus outbreak, um, if, if we look at who is the staff that are actually uh, in the hospitals, that are in the care, on the kind of front line, a, a lot of them are immigrants. Um, and uh, obviously there is a massive population of people as well who who are who are helping but I think it just goes to show that is is so so important and 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 maybe in a sense I think the attitude is slightly changing again whereas we've, we've seen probably immigration on the, the retreat and, and kind of the defensive in terms of policy but I think now we're seeing with with things that have happened recently, maybe maybe that's turning around a little bit. Maybe that's a little bit um, optimistic. What, what do you make of Annie's opinion? Um, well, I I think it's it's definitely an interesting one, and I I do believe that as a country we can definitely celebrate the the welfare approach that we have had. Um, I think no matter what government has been in place, and no matter what party has been in place, um, I think we have always had very good strong social welfare. I mean, yes, absolutely, you can argue, and I would agree with you um, that social welfare maybe hasn't been um, at its strongest point, especially during um, the last. Uh, during what we had to do to ensure that, sorry, during austerity. And I, I think that because of that, it, 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 it definitely there is room for improvement. And it, there is um, definitely light on the benefits of immigration can have on a country. And, and as I have said, that I am someone that does believe in immigration, just controlled immigration, um, because I think controlled immigration is something that can be can benefit a, a country immensely. And um, it absolutely just shows the, the actual fact that the dire need that we do need to still have that that level of immigration coming in or a level of immigration coming in to, to ensure we are uh, making sure our, our NHS and, and care workers have enough staff so that they can look after the elderly and those that are sick. Joe, Joe says, I might be a bit pissed because I live near where one of the ISIS-inspired attacks in London today. So for me, defence security and intelligence is really important to me. Most importantly, a government that is willing to give intelligence services and the police all of the money and resources it needs without interfering and getting too involved. Let the experts do their thing. 
we need to be able to feel safe in our country and intelligence and defence is ultimately the way that we do stay safe. I mean, George, obviously, is a conservative. I suppose that's something that really resonates with you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always been one that has um, wanted to, the security of our nation and make sure that our intelligence and security um, jobs and everything have got the correct funding that they need. And, and I think that it is so important that there is that level of surveillance and level of um, intelligence going on to make sure that we are all safe. Um, and as it's known and been said before on the radio show policing and, and counterterrorism is something that i studied at university um and it was something that i absolutely loved to, to to read about and i think it's absolutely fascinating what can go on um and in actual fact the 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 best way of going about to ensure that terrorism doesn't happen in countries is to have a very open database of intelligence between um areas like mi5 and um, our policing counterterrorism policing units um, and that is so important and and also to make sure that certain um, ministers like the Home Secretary, Defence Secretary and the Prime Minister are, are kept up to date on what they're doing and are advised in how to take certain measures when um, incidents happen. Callum, what are your thoughts on that? But on a kind of broad level, I suppose it is something I'm interested in and, and vote in a, in a sense based upon that. Um, because obviously it's, it's so important to be able to keep everyone safe and keep just safe and whatnot. Um, but I, th I think for me, it's not something that I often pay loads of attention to. Um, certainly, if I was to be a, a government minister, I um, wouldn't be looking to be defence minister, for example. Or, or certainly if I was home secretary, I, I wouldn't be doing so because I'm going to um, be greatly focused upon upon how kind of we, we deliver security and things like that, mainly, I suppose, just because it's not something I've ever really um, particularly read up on, whereas obviously compared to what, what George said there, um, he, he's obviously got a massive, massive interest um, in that area. Right then, remember, we will be announcing what the question will be you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show, so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to in this segment of next week's show. We've reached time for the first song for this evening, so we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, should VE Day always be a bank holiday? So a couple of days ago, on the 8th of May, we celebrated the 75th anniversary of Victory in Europe Day. It is the day cele celebrating the formal acceptance by the Allies of World War II of Nazi Germany's unconditional surrender of its armed forces on Tuesday, uh, the 8th of May, 1945, marking the end of World War II in Europe. Several countries observe public holidays on the day each year, variously called Victory Over Fashion Day, Liberation Day, or simply Victory Day. In the UK, it's often abbreviated to VE Day, a term which existed as early as September 1944 in anticipation of victory. Of course, this is a very special day that does deserve celebration. But Callum, do you believe it should always be recognised by a bank holiday? 
see instinctively i'd say yes it should be um because i i mean obviously the second world war was such an important war um in our history and really a significant event in really shaping the entire modern world really that i think commemorating it does seem like something that should happen but i think on a practical level um we have to admit the fact we've already got um two bank holidays in may um and uh, for me i think we should be spreading around bank holidays rather than having them all clustered in one kind of place uh, i mean obviously to um to have the the bank holiday this time um on, on friday we we had to move the normal bank holiday which i think we'd have on on this monday coming and obviously in terms of because of lockdown and everything like that, I mean, it doesn't actually really make that much difference. You don't really notice whether or not it's a bank holiday or not. But I think that was the plan. Um, so, so I think for me, it means that we probably shouldn't have the day as the day as a bank holiday whilst those other um, bank holidays remain in place, because I just don't think it's very practical to expect employers to have so many bank holidays within such a short succession and i just think for all of our kind of health and well-being it's better to spread these things out i think personally that it would make much more sense to have armistice day or remembrance sunday but obviously either on the monday or the friday prior to that have that as a as a um, bank holiday um because that can serve the message of of remembering the victims of obviously World War One, it was primarily designed for, but also it's it's now being used for World War Two and kind of all other wars really. Um, but it would mean that it's much more spread out because obviously that's in November. Um, George, what about you? Do you think V Day should be a bank holiday? Um, it's a difficult one for me. I won't lie because as it's widely known, I am what I like to call a traditionalist. Um, and I very much like to keep to what, what has been going on. However, I, I definitely see the points that Callum is raising. Um, and as always, they are very um, poignant points and, and definitely points to uh, to bring a very clear argument. But I, I think that um, by having a bank holiday, it does recognise how special it is. And I do understand Callum's point of view when he says it's 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 kind of ludicrous i suppose in some ways to have so many bank holidays in one month but unfortunately you know in 1945 they didn't expect to uh <laughs> do this and also say oh well it's going to be a bank holiday so maybe we should do it next month um, and get them to sign it next month so then we can spread the bank holidays out um and i think in those circumstances i don't believe that we should necessarily downgrade if you like um ve day to not a bank holiday because it's something that i think is incredibly we should be incredibly proud of even during lockdown we had some fantastic celebrations with people going outside on their front lawns being involved in a kind of you know a socially distant street party um, the speech from the Queen, um, the speech from Winston Churchill, and I think just things like that, were, I won't lie, made me very proud to be British. Um, and that celebration, I think, should definitely carry on and, and go on. Um, I definitely think there is, a, there is a conversation to be had about whether bank holidays, other bank holidays, are as important and whether maybe we should start cutting back on those ones but also Callan's point regarding um, employers with bank holidays a lot of employers now will ask their um, 
employees to come in during bank holidays we've seen the shops and many shops do not close on bank holidays yeah. because of certain sizes um and many businesses do not close on bank holidays as well of course people are entitled to take that off as, as holiday because um a lot of students will have bank holiday off um but equally i think that we have got so used to that set of life that people are readily used to it and and i think it's it is a very nice day day to go around and i do hope that this day does carry on for a long time to come because as Callum did highlight the the VE day is is something that we should be should be recognized because it has made such a difference to not just this country but the whole of Europe um and it's it's something to be very proud of yeah and and obviously George we mentioned the fact that maybe there's some bank holidays that aren't uh, quite as important, possibly. Do, do you think that there's a, there is an argument to be made that instead of making VE Day, uh, or, or rather, if we're going to make VE Day a bank holiday, that maybe we just get rid of the May Day bank holiday? Because, I mean, just celebrating the fact it's the first Monday in May doesn't really seem to matter that much. I mean, what do you make of that, George? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, Callum. And, and that's that's where I said, you know, there, there are some bank holidays that don't, to me, seem as important. Yeah. Absolutely. That's where we should look to to scrap those. And, and when you've got significant days like the E-Day, for me, they pose a bigger importance in society. Um, and that's why we should be celebrating those. I think, you know, hardly anyone really knows actually why we have that bank holiday on the first um, Monday, as it were. So I think think that people just kind of take that day for granted whereas when ve day comes around so many villages so many cities and everything normally have events to celebrate this this um triumph of a day and and i and i think that is so important it's not just a day where people can have off work it's a day that brings communities together and also um requires them to think back about what what importance it is as well Mm. and um how did you mark the day this year, George? Obviously, with with um, lockdown and everything, mm. it it makes it much more difficult. But I mean, um, how, how did you kind of try and try and mark that moment? Yeah. So I uh, so I in my office uh, in Birchington in the window there, I did a, a little display for the day. Then also. Um, at my house, my mum cut out loads of different bunting and we, we stuck all that up outside of the house to, you know, just make it a little bit nicer. We, of course, respected um, and held the two minute silence at 11 o'clock. Um, and there was also a little gathering, um, of course, keeping to social distancing measures um, where we went outside for afternoon tea at three o'clock. Um, and again, as a family, we sat around the TV and watched um, the Queen's speech and and sung along to Dame Vera Lynn's song. Um, and that, that was it was it was absolutely lovely. And and to see all the different people singing that as well, I I actually um, got a little bit emotional um, because I thought it was very touching. And and during a time that we are currently going through, where we aren't seeing family members, um, I mean, I from for example haven't seen my dad for well have a long lockdown's been and and that's that's song touched me and i thought i thought it was absolutely lovely how about you Callum? how did you go about um well this is me presuming that you celebrated it but i i presume you did <laughs> uh yeah yeah we did we did um we we had a barbecue um 
me obviously just amongst me and my parents and um, my brother and his girlfriend who also um, live with me um, so so we had just like a barbecue within our household and then we did also um, watch the speech the Queen's speech even I watched it uh, as, a, <laughs> as a, a Republican um, I, I did still watch it I thought it was a it was a very nice um, speech and, and as you say the sing-along at the end was really touching as well and I think it was it was kind of needed um, get to, to kind of see that although these times are extraordinary, um, people have obviously been through untold hardship before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it was good to kind of take stock of that um, just a little bit. Absolutely. And to kind of look at bank holidays again, obviously we've had um, this bank holiday was brought about. Do you think in, in the future, I know it's hard, as I always say, for us to tell the future, but if we look at kind of current events, there has been talk previously of possibly having a bank holiday for Brexit Day. Um, and hmm. I know, obviously, you didn't vote for Brexit and you, you weren't a supporter of Brexit. But do you can you see um, possibly a government bringing that in? Or do you think there possibly could be future events that happen um, that would entitle us to have a bank holiday? For example, the sad passing of the Queen, possibly in the future. Mm. Um, so in terms of Brexit, I can see a government passing that um, to, to have Brexit in marked as a, a kind of British independence day, I suppose. I think at the time where I think we have kind of vaguely discussed this before. And, and I, I think I said that, although it's obviously not my ideal situation, I can kind of at least see the argument that there might be made to to mark that day because it is a massive moment. Um, or, or rather, it was a massive moment for our country. Um, so, so I can see that happening in terms of other events. Um, I, I think probably whenever the Queen does unfortunately pass away, obviously there will be a kind of, depending on when it happens, uh, there probably will be some kind of day set aside as a as a national mourning day. Obviously, more likely to be whenever her funeral is. Um, I don't think that will then extend into always consistently being that. But then again, you 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 never know. Um, I think, in a sense, this sounds maybe a little heartless, but I think it depends upon when that falls as to whether yeah. or not it's practical to have that as a bank holiday. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, what do you make chucking those questions back at you, George? Yeah, definitely. I think there will be... Um, I can definitely see Boris Johnson try and uh, get a bank holiday for Brexit, kind of Independence Day. Um, and on the point about, obviously, the sad passing of the Queen um, when it happens, I think that if it does fall in an area or a time when there are already many bank holidays, then I definitely think that maybe a bank holiday will be made of one of her two birthdays that she celebrates. Yeah. Um, just to kind of still celebrate the the fact that we obviously have had the longest lasting monarch um, and to to pay respect for a very amazing queen. But Callum, how do you think this question is going to come out? Uh, I think most people will say it should always be a bank holiday. So I'll say 60% of people will say, yes, it should. What about you? And I'm going to say that 70% of people will say, yes, um, it should be a bank holiday. But as always, there is 
only one way to find out how that result will go and that is for you guys to vote away on this question should ve day always be a bank holiday and you could do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen and we'll be back after this Welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, should VE Day always be a bank holiday? And you guys have been voting away. So the results are in. And 59% of you have said, yes, it should always be recognized by a bank holiday. And 41% of you said, no, no, it shouldn't. Get rid of it. That's, I think, the closest I've ever been on a on a poll result, George. Yeah, so I'm, I'm- it will be the closest that you will ever be. So let's just move on, shall we? <laughs> Very salty. Right. Uh, moving on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking, what is the best decade for music? So ever since in 1877, Thomas Edison invented the phonograph or record player, uh, music has played a major part in people's lives. From Louis Armstrong and Billie Holiday to the Beatles and the Bee Gees, all the way through to... Adele and Dua Lipa, different eras have been defined by different great musicians. But which era is the best? What decade has produced the greatest musicians, the most creative albums and the best one hit wonders? George, what is the best decade for music out of the following? The 80s, the 90s, the noughties, the teens or other that famous decade? What do you think? Oh, this is such a difficult one for me. Um, I will firstly start off and I will put this on record that I am not someone that maybe listens to the most up-to-date music. I am someone (laughs) that likes to uh, appreciate the older style of music and what I like to call the classics. Um, And on my Spotify playlist, as Callum will rightly back me up, um, I have the classics and also tunes for the car is what they are called um and they are just full of very old kind of songs but very cheesy songs i think is the best way to describe them i think for me music has played such a significant role in a lot of people's lives in a way music has been a friend when when you need it to be when you're maybe in your car by yourself or in your room and you're a little bit down you play either a sad sad song to kind of I don't know, appreciate your feelings and then, but also to cheer yourself up, you play quite a happy tune and, and to bring, bring a bit of light to the situation and to make you get that smile back on your face. And also I think music brings people together. I um, can't think of the amount of times that Callum and I have been dancing around on the dance floor um, together sometimes even having a little bit too much to drink um, and having the best time of our lives just on a dance floor because of the music that we're they're listening to. And who can not forget that um, the good old drive, drive along singing when I've got all my windows up and I'm blasting out my music, normally Michael Bublé. Um, and I think I'm auditioning for X Factor and I'm singing at the top of my voice. But if I do go through most of my records, I, I think for me, it, the, the, the <sighs> it's so hard. The area that kind of does jump out most for me is going to have to be between either the 80s or the 90s. Now, obviously, the 80s, we saw fantastic tunes like Take On Me by Aha, Billie Jean from Michael Jackson, Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This by Eurythmics. Um 
Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. That's fantastic. Then you come on to the 90s and you've got Live in La Vida Loca from Ricky Martin. You've got um, All Star from Smash Mouth. You've got Wonderwall by Oasis. Sorry, no, I meant Smash... No, I did mean that way around. Oasis, you've got Wonderwall by Oasis um, and many, many more. And of course, there are the arguments to say that as music goes on, um, there have been many other classics but i think for me back in the 80s and the 90s music was so uh, it's kind of fresh and there was so many different developments on music and i i i believe that there is so unique compared to some of the tunes we hear today um and that's why for me it is between those two but callum i'm going to throw this over to you what what are you uh, what area are you going to be vouching for yeah, I mean, equally, it's very difficult for me, I think. Um, I think 80s, if I'm being honest, is probably the best decade for music. Just in terms of the the legacy they have, I mean, all of those songs that, that you mentioned, George, um, I think most people would have heard of them still even today. Um, whereas maybe getting into some of the 90s songs, maybe that's not... As much the case, it's not got such a strong legacy. Um, but I do absolutely love the 90s music. I, I mean, as you know, George, I'm a big fan of Oasis. Um, but also, you know, there's some really great um, great bands that were around during the 90s and great um, solo artists as well. But I would say that I think an underrated decade is is, is the noughties. Um, I, I think... It, it kind of sees a bit of a return to the the cheesy music that we saw define maybe the 80s um, in many ways. If we think about Busted, S Club 7, Gareth Gates, um, Shane Ward, all, all, all of these people that now a lot of them are like nobody, let's be frank. Um, but but back then they did produce some, some absolute banging banging tunes as they say <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely i i think i think for me the noughties um there are definitely some noughties tunes not naughty tunes i meant noughties tunes uh, <laughs> on my on my playlist um i mean things like outcast uh, sorry hey yuff by outcast and you're beautiful from james blunt um mm. sex on fire kings of leon single ladies by beyonce i think um but also the noughties for callum and i i mean i know i'm speaking for callum here but um i do most of the time this this is um for me the noughties are our generation Callum. we grew up through the noughties and a lot of our songs kind of obviously were from that i remember in year seven when i got my um cy- i can't remember i think it was a cyber shot sony ericsson um and i could play my my songs finally out loud whilst i was on the bus or something like that thinking i was really cool um but i i I think that if i look at the teens of course there are some fantastic tunes that come out of then like um shape of you by ed sheeran uptown funk by obviously mark ronson and 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 bruno mars um and of course not to mention um not to forget adele with her many many records that she has produced um and it is very hard to put a point on which one is fantastic but i do you do you think there is only so much there is only so far that music can go that songs can be written to that different melodies can be played until we hear repeats of things that we've heard before uh, yeah i think i mean we, we see a lot of um 
kind of re- remakes of songs anyway, don't we? But I think um, there's a there's a famous YouTube video that went round a few years back when we, when we were in school, George. I remember where it was basically saying that um, all um, top um, chart songs of the past say two decades have played the same four chords as a as yeah. a bass or, or something like that i'm, not, I'm no <laughs> musical expert so i can't remember <laughs> the exact details of it but i think that that's testament to the fact there is an awful lot of of repetition um but george just kind of on that kind of point in terms of that obviously that there were so many great songs in the past and so many great um bands and solo artists Mm. Do do you feel a sense of jealousy that that um, other generations have got to grow up with? You know, the Beatles, Michael Jackson, Oasis, and we're for me, from my perspective at least, I don't think we've we've got that kind of iconic musician or sounds that really defines our our generation. Do do you feel disappointed in that? Um, I think that's definitely a really interesting point to make and it's something that I hadn't really thought about. Um, but but in a way, um, I would say that those songs are obviously replayed and, and they are new to us when we are young, even though they are however old. Um, and because of that, we learn to love and, and to cherish them. But I, I definitely think that it, w- it is hard to try and point or put a finger on someone that or an artist or a band that, that kind of defines our generation. I, I, I think that maybe you could argue that bands like, obviously, I would say, obviously, we are 90s children. So I would definitely look around songs like from, I know they are cheesy, but songs from the Spice Girls and um, Oasis and things like that. But I think as time goes on, that will become less significant. But do, do you... Do you think that then, Callum? Do you think that it's hard for us to kind of define a a band or a, or a, or a song that actually describes our our generation that our generation's tune can be? Yeah, I think it's very difficult to to kind of to define what defines us as such because I think because of the rise of all of these um, music streaming services and the turn more towards online rather than kind of physical copies of CDs and such, I think there's so much more choice we now have in music, which is an amazing thing, don't get me wrong, but it means that probably the market as a whole is much more fragmented than probably what it was um, back in the day. Although obviously we saw... Um, you know, in the 90s, for example, we saw the rise of the, the uh, grunge music and, and things like that. So, so there is always a counterculture there, I suppose, um, that is kind of breaking away um, from that mainstream and fragmenting things. Um, what decade do you think is going to come out on top here? Well, I'm actually going to go for a decade that I don't think will come out on top, but because I love it so much, I'm going to back it. Um, okay. And I'm going to say that the 80s will come out on top because I believe in Rick Astley and I'm never going to give up on it. How about yeah. you, Callum? <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm getting about the 80s as well, but I, I think it will come out on top because I think a lot of people have seen Stranger Things and things like that. And, and there's this mm. real love of the 80s. Um, but maybe I'm wrong because obviously it's no, probably not many of our listeners were actually born in the 80s, like 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 we weren't. But but we'll see. 
Uh, right, it's now time for you guys to vote away on this question. What is the best decade for music? The options again are the 80s, the 90s, the noughties, the teens, or other. And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen, and we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked, what is the best decade for music? And you guys have been voting away. So 28% of you said the 80s is the best decade. 27% of you said the uh, teens. 19% said other. Uh, 17% of you said the 90s. And just 9% of you said the noughties. I mean, Georgie, are you a little bit disappointed that the noughties have done so poorly there? Because... I, I I love the noughties, really. I mean, maybe I didn't bat hard enough for them in that discussion. Yeah, I'm going to blame you for that. Yeah, you didn't bat hard enough for them. Um, <laughs> I, I think, as as ever, as I always say when we do these, I always it always surprises me how well Other does in this. Um, I, I would love to know what genre they were thinking about. Maybe the 60s and 50s, um, yeah. or even the 40s, because obviously they had some fantastic kind of jazzy notes um, and some. So and that's been playing a lot, especially around um, VE Day. Uh, so it's been a lot in people's minds those kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. decades. <clears throat> but Let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. And as I always say, the most important discussion. And we're asking, do you believe in conspiracy theories? So whatever events happen in this world, there will always be someone that doesn't believe that what is going on is being portrayed truthfully. They will then they will then often put together their own theories. And as such, this creates conspiracy theories. In principle, conspiracy theories are not false by default and their validity depends on evidence, just as in any theory. Although they are often discredited due to the cumbersome and improbable nature of many of them. So the moon landing hoax, Paul McCartney's death and the denial that the cause of the Twin Towers collapsing was done by planes are just some conspiracy theories that have come about. Maybe there is a conspiracy theory that I present the show by myself and do two voices. Callum, or should I say me, do you believe in such theories? <laughs> uh, I don't think, George, you could do um, my voice good enough. I think that's the thing, you know. Yeah, I've got... I've it got... takes... It takes a lot of commitment to get this monotone, George. Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, my, my voice is, is uh, too entertaining to sound that boring. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, I'm not generally someone that believes in conspiracy theories, to be honest with you. I mean, all of those ones that you've named, um, uh, I, don't, I don't subscribe to them. Um, and generally, I think, and you're probably going to laugh at this, George, but I think I'm generally quite trusting of the government in a broad sense in terms of because normally conspiracy theories do focus around governments although not always um and in general i think they do tell us the truth most of the time or as much as they're kind of able to to keep us safe and well um and and so i don't really think there's any kind of credible um theory that i'd describe as a conspiracy theory that that i believe him i mean what about you george is there any kind of conspiracy theories that, that you subscribe to 
Uh, there possibly might be, but I, I won't say them live on air. No, I don't. Um, I, I am someone that likes to look at the whole picture and, and absolutely I do trust the government and what they are releasing. But at the same time, um, I do believe that when people investigate and look further into what is being published, whether it's from governments or from companies, I think there has got to be some level of truth into what they are saying if the evidence does back it up and i and i think that is a key point in what i'm saying there um if conspiracy theories come out and there is evidence to suggest that it is partially true then i definitely think there should be some recognition on whether that theory can be correct um and there are certain uh, things that have gone on in life that possibly are hard to prove either way and as such that's why conspiracy theories have come about um, and, and I think that ultimately the best way to come to a conclusion on uh, whether an event happened in a certain way is by looking at some conspiracy theories, looking at what was um, developed in the press or what was released by the government or the said government as uh, ed said company and then putting both of those together because i do believe by doing that you will then come to a clearer picture of what possibly um went on in this said event so i think there can possibly be some credibility to conspiracy theories but that does not mean that i believe all of them i, I think there are many conspiracy theories that are utter utter rubbish um i mean there's a conspiracy theory that elvis presley and michael jackson are still alive um and i think that is just utter utter well it's just not true whatsoever unless you can take me to michael jackson still alive then that is the only time i will believe you um but kind of do you think that conspiracy theories come about from people not trusting what is being published or do you think they come about just because people are bored and and want to try and make a different viewpoint on what's going on i think there's just always some people that in life that just want to question everything and I'm not saying that necessarily as a, as a criticism, mm. um, but I do just think there is some people who, whether I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but they just naturally kind of are attracted towards these big kind of grand conspiracy theories. I mean, yeah. some probably things that would have in the past been described as a conspiracy theory turned out to be true. I mean, if you think about the Watergate um, scandal, maybe that would have well being considered a conspiracy theory early on and then it was obviously proven so i suppose you've got to kind of look at kind of and give people some kind of benefit of the doubt yeah absolutely i think i think conspiracy theories are kind of the challenging of what is being given as what they would call fact um and callum how do you think this is going to go um i think that i probably uh, 70% of people say no they do not believe in conspiracy theories what about you I'm going to say it's going to be more 76% of people say that they do not believe in conspiracy theories but as always there's only one way to find out and that's for you guys to vote on the question do you believe in conspiracy theories and you could do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen and we'll be back after this
Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, do you believe in conspiracy theories? And you guys have been voting and the results are in. So 47% of you said, yes, you do. And 53% of you said, no, you don't. Well, Callum, that is a lot, lot closer than we thought it would be. Yeah, I'm I'm really, really shocked by that. I, I, I just would say to, to all of the listeners, just, just to be absolutely clear, Cup and Gert are two separate people. Cup is not mimicking <laughs> the voice of Gert. Just, just to clear that up. Yeah. See how good I am. I made you believe that I'm not uh, one person. That's how, how good I am. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. Thanks for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Gert. We do really hope you've enjoyed this episode. So, as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in. But we're after non-political questions for George and I to answer. You can send in those by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter. That's at wizradio. So remember to send in your non-political questions for George and I to answer. And we're really looking forward to answering those next week. But it's now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Callum Gurr. And I've been uh, George Cup. Remember, everybody, I know it's hard at the moment, but please keep positive. Make sure your mindset is healthy and keep smiling. But thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed. <laughs>